Well, good morning. I hope that y'all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be up here and getting to preach God's word to you. So uh, as Jay just read out loud, if you have a Bible with you, uh, let me invite you to join me in Philemon. We're looking at verses 17 through 25 this morning. Um, Philemon is this short book in the New Testament, and when I say short, I mean just a, a little bit over 20 verses, and it is sandwiched in between Titus and Hebrews. And so uh, as you're flipping through those Bibles, uh, i got a couple of things for you. The first one is, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to hook you up. And so we have Bibles for you, both at our Connect desk and in the chairs uh, before you. So pick one up, take one, that's our gift to you, hook someone else up with it. The next two things I have for you, uh, I don't know if you'll hear them in today's announcement video, but the first one is regarding kids ministry. Uh, by God's grace, our kids ministry is growing uh, as we're regathering more and more and more, in particular as restrictions begin to uh, loosen, and so we are beginning to gather more and more, and as of right now, kids ministry gathers on the second floor here at the incubator twice a month. Now, to give you some, some, some urgency in terms of, of, of what, we're, what I'm asking, I'm asking you to consider serving in kids ministry at least once a month. Our kids director, LC, informed me the other day that to run at, uh, at the capacity that they need in, in light of our policy, in light of our procedures to keep our, keep our kiddos safe, make sure that they have enough teachers, helpers, individuals helping to set up and tear down, uh, LC, at the very least, twice a month, needs 14 volunteers to run kids ministry. That's twice a month. Right now, she's running on six. Okay? So... If you are not serving, if you have been wondering, where can I serve, right? And, uh, you know, you tend to consider, like, what is it that God's calling me to? He's calling you to meet a need in the church, and that need is kids' ministry, right? So consider serving in kids' ministry. Uh, you can follow up with Elsie. She'll be somewhere here. Raise your hand, Elsie. That's Elsie. She's our kids' director. She's awesome. Right? So follow up with her after service and ask all the questions, and she will set you up and hook you up. Okay? And if you're like, man, I get, I get really nervous teaching kids, you should, because they will challenge you. But in addition to that, we don't just need teachers. Sometimes we need uh, classroom assistants. Sometimes we need just helping to set up. Sometimes we need uh, people helping with check-in um, or tearing things down or everything from a variety of logistics to actual teaching. Elsie will give you all of that information. So consider serving in kids' ministry. The second one, uh, or the, I guess technically it would be the third thing that I have for you is in light of masks. If you're a member, you're going to receive a video on this uh, on Tuesday. But I'm sure you're all aware that Governor Abbott released a statement concerning masks, that restrictions are coming down, that primarily masks are reserved for medical facilities, and obviously if people want to continue wearing them in their businesses, they're more than welcome to do so. For us here at the incubator, the incubator is beginning to, or not beginning to, has reduced their restrictions on the masks, and this whole time we have wanted to honor the chamber, we have wanted to honor the city, therefore masks are no longer mandatory. So, with that being said, if you want to wear one, you totally should, okay? I'm telling you. If you don't want to wear one, you totally shouldn't, right? Now, with that being said, what I want to uh, really... Mm, push, challenge, and encourage you on is Philippians 1.9. 
In Philippians 1.9, Paul goes on to say to the Philippian church that he desires for them to abound in love for one another in knowledge and all discernment. You would want to underline the word discernment. That's applying God's word. That's applying wisdom and uh, a practice of God's word. He goes on to say, so that you may be able to determine or accept what is excellent or superior or what is best. Considering what's going on in the Philippian church, what the Apostle Paul is ultimately telling them is, I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to make the best decision. And you're going to make the best decision by using discernment because your knowledge in Christ is increasing and love for one another is abounding. So I'm not going to give you the answer. You're going to make that decision, right? And so I don't say that as anything bad. So if you got a, if you got a mask on, wear it, man. You look like a cool ninja. Don't let anybody tell you different. If you don't want to wear a mask, cool. Don't be parading it, right? At the end of the day, we've come here together because we need the word of Christ, and we are here to worship him, not you, okay? So let's just keep that in mind, right? And if you got beef with it, eh, talk. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure, you can talk to me afterwards also. Um, <laughs> Anyway, with all that being said, let's dive into Philemon. So earlier this week, I was meeting up with uh, one of our members, and he was expressing some of his challenges of the last month, uh, some of which included finishing up the school year, and he was also looking forward to having some time off with little responsibilities outside of work. But he was sorely mistaken. On one occasion, a conversation occurred, and by God's providence, it was a conversation with a friend whom he hadn't spoken to in a matter of months due to differences in their friendship, in their relationship. And it was through the invitation to an online video game, one where he thought he wouldn't have to worry about anything, it was brainless, it's not going to tell anything serious. Several players ended up joining this game, and his friend happened to be one of them. And then due to engagements or time constraints, all of the other players slowly started exiting the video game until it was just him and his friend. That's awkward. All you hear is the clicking of the controllers. As uh, he began to unfold the story, he tells me that they began to talk about the school year and work relationships and church life. And, and then the personal matter, what we would call the beef, started to seep into this conversation. And to his surprise, they began to gravitate toward everything in good favor and everything toward one another, ranging from theological clarity to family mending and to finally reconciliation. That means the restoring of their, their friendship. Reconciliation, the, the, the restoration of a relationship as a result of conflict can be challenging. It's a humbling experience, and at times it is an awkward one. But it's not just biblical, it's necessary. See, reconciliation demonstrates whether this grace that we believe is real. Reconciliation at its core is a conviction held by the good news of the gospel because reconciliation is an implication of the gospel. Therefore, reconciliation is a personal matter. It is not a private one. You see, what we believe about grace determines whether or not we pursue biblical reconciliation. So, what do you believe about 
grace, church? What do you believe about grace? This morning, we're wrapping up our time in Philemon. We will have been here three weeks in this short book, and I hope that it's been fruitful to you. I hope it has been beneficial for you in conversation and certainly seeing God's work in your life as we have seen God work through the Apostle Paul and Philemon and finally Onesimus. And in case you're new, in case you haven't been with us, here's a short summary of Philemon, and then we'll pray and dig into the text this morning. Earlier this year, we walked through a series in Colossians, where Paul writes to a small and young church in the city of Colossae, and it was planted, this church was planted by an individual named Epaphras. We'll talk about him later today. And in the first century, they didn't have buildings where the church was meeting. There wasn't like, you know, uh, the Colossian or the Colossae incubator, right? There wasn't anything like that, right? And so what ended up happening was that many churches regularly met in homes because of the hospitality of members within the congregation. This is where Philemon comes in. The church in Colossae is meeting in his home, and he might serve as a leader, or he's just being extremely hospitable and allowing the church to meet in his home. And like many in Greco-Roman society, Philemon had slaves or bondservants, and Onesimus was one of them. Now, at some point, Onesimus bounces. Now, we don't exactly know why. Some believe because he sinned against Philemon. Some believe because he stole. Some believe otherwise. But at some point, Onesimus bounces. Providentially, however, at some point, Onesimus is arrested and finds himself in prison with the Apostle Paul and becomes a Christian through the gospel that Paul is preaching. Hence the the key word providentially. It's It's not random, right? Homeboy leaves Philemon, is traveling through a variety of cities, ends up in Rome, happens to get arrested, and the Apostle Paul just happens to be in his same cell, just like uh, my friend who wanted to play some video games and the friend he wanted to be reconciled or needed to be reconciled to happened to be playing at the same time and happened to be playing the same video game and happened to be involved or invited to the same game. Yeah, that's called providence. Now, at this point, Paul is writing to Philemon because he is sending Onesimus back to him and has made a beautiful case of grace to Philemon so that he would receive him as he would receive Paul. And so this is where we find ourselves today. So let me pray, and then we're going to begin with uh, verse 17. God, once more... We are thankful to you because of Jesus and his work done for us on the cross, reconciling us to you. God, we are thankful for you and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who has residency in us, and is uh, regularly transforming us into the image of Jesus. And so, God, now we, we appeal to you to challenge to convict us, and to comfort us uh, with your word so that we would pursue reconciliation, have a better understanding of what reconciliation is, so that we would uh, confess and repent of our sin and ultimately be conformed into this image of Jesus. And so may your word be sweeter than honey to us this morning. May your word penetrate the depths of our heart and soul this morning. 
And may you be glorified and us sanctified as we study your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this final section, I'd like to continue to explore the depths of reconciliation. Last week, we looked at what was involved in reconciliation. We looked at the gospel and transformation and restoration. Uh, This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to look at two more principles of reconciliation, uh, particularly grace and accountability. When it comes to this, we're going to unpack each one accordingly, beginning with what we're calling the grace of a new identity in Christ. We're looking at this big topic of grace, and we're unpacking it in a number of ways as we walk through this section. And so once more, we're going to begin with the grace of a new identity in Christ. Let's look at verse 17. Paul goes on to write, So if you consider me... Your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now, this is incredibly important because there's a lot that Paul is saying in this one little verse. The word if here is not an accusation to Philemon, right? It's not like Paul is challenging Philemon. If you say you're a Christian, then you're going to do that. He's not throwing it on him. Rather, what Paul is doing is putting ownership on Philemon concerning their friendship and concerning Philemon's response. We could almost word it this way, that Paul is saying, because we are friends, because you're a Christian, I know you're going to do what is right. And that's ultimately what Paul is going to unpack and say later on in this section. But he's not accusing him of anything. He hasn't called him out on anything, but he is putting ownership on Philemon to respond. And he's asking him, or he's appealing to him to respond based on his godly character, based on what God has done for him, based on what God is doing in and through the church, and based on what he believes about the gospel, based on their friendship. Further, Paul continues, if you consider me your partner, the, the word partner here, the, the Greek word for it is this little word called koinonian, and what he is talking about is fellowship. He's talking about fellowship, this brotherly affection that him and Philemon have. It's It's a friendship that has been bonded together by the gospel. It is something that Paul appealed to him for in verse 6. If we go back, he goes on to say, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ Jesus. When Paul tells Philemon uh, that, that, that he prays that the sharing of your faith, he's not talking about Philemon going out and evangelizing to the lost. He's talking about the sharing of their faith. In other words, the, the, the mutual understanding, what's bonding them all together, what's bonding everyone in the church together, and in particular, Philemon and Paul, is the gospel. Right? Earlier in this series, we talked about Paul appealing to Philemon's character, appealing to his heart and mind. Paul is now appealing to him primarily as a brother, that they have been bonded together because of the gospel, that they serve the same God, they are in the same mission. Now, what's so fascinating about this, what's so fascinating about this term of, a, uh, of affection is Paul has never been to Colossae. More than likely, Philemon uh, became a Christian through the ministry of Paul when Paul was preaching in this bigger city, think San Antonio, Austin, in this bigger city called Ephesus. So they've actually never met. 
And he is appealing to him saying, hey man, you're my friend, you're my brother, I love you. Therefore, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. When he writes the word receive, it's, it kind of has some weight to it. It's a little bit of a, a play on words. Because here, the, the word receive, Paul isn't implying, isn't, I should say it this way, Paul is not simply implying that Philemon receive Onesimus back into his household. Right? Pick up where you left off. That's not necessarily the only thing that he is implying. Paul is saying, receive him back, not just into your household, but into the household of faith. And he talked about this in verse 16. It's the very verse uh, before this. He says, receive him no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. And so when he says, receive him as you would receive me, he's ultimately telling him, hey, you would receive me because I'm a brother in Christ, because I've been rescued by the same gospel that you have been rescued by, and so has Nisimus. You're going to make a big deal if I show up to your house because of this fellowship that we have, this, this mutual understanding that we have been bonded together by the gospel, and you and I are going to be really excited to hang out with one another. That's how I want you to receive Onesimus. Reconciliation involves the grace of a new identity. Paul is appealing to Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not just or not because of who he used to be, but because he is a new creation. One who has been saved through faith in Christ. One who has received a new identity. And so let's pause for a minute. Christian, I want you to think back. At one point, you were welcomed before God. Because you received a new identity. You received a new status. Who you were is not who you are now in Christ. In fact, who you are is the result of God's work in you through Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that you are a new creation? Do you realize that your brother or sister in Christ is also a new creation? Do you realize that you, along with them, are called beloved by God? If we're going to talk about reconciliation within the church, then we must first remember that it begins with a new identity. And who God says we are determines what we do. Last week, we talked about our favorite subject in the whole wide world, ourselves. And because reconciliation begins with ourselves, consider God's work for you and in you through Jesus. But what about we're not there? And so and so, we're not there. Consider that you have received a new identity by His grace. That what Paul is asking Philemon to do is essentially how Jesus intercedes for us to the Father. Receive Him as you would receive me. Receive her as you would receive me. As echoes of the gospel. And it's the practical outworking of the gospel. 
moving on to verses 18 and 19, we see the grace of forgiveness, or excuse me, the grace of a new identity in verse 17. We see the grace of forgiveness in Christ in verse 18 and 19. And let me just say, this is the, the heart of the letter. In this section, we see the practical outworking of the doctrine of reconciliation where sinners are reconciled to God through Christ on the cross. Here in verses 18 and 19, Paul takes on the role as the Redeemer, little r, and he is the only one who is innocent, little i, so that Philemon and Onesimus may be reconciled to one another. Let's look at it. He says, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing of your owing, of your owing me, even your own self. I want you to consider a couple of things here. Number one, Onesimus owes Philemon. He bounced, he fled, whatever he did. He took time away from him, he stole money, he did something. Onesimus owes Philemon. Philemon owes Paul. Paul says, hey, I want you to consider, not that it's a big deal or anything, but uh, you owe me your life. Now that could mean that, that Philemon and Paul had this kind of connection in the sense that Philemon came to faith in Christ through Paul's preaching, and Paul knows about that. Paul, Paul is essentially saying, hey, you came to faith in Christ. I know about that. You were kind of sort of discipled by me. You owe me. And here's what Paul does. Paul steps in as a substitute in order that they would be reconciled. Right? Look at it once more. Verse 18. If he has wronged you at all, that is Onesimus. He's telling Philemon, whatever he's done, whatever it is that he owes you, put it on me. Put it on me. And Paul does this so that there is absolutely nothing in the way of them being reconciled to one another. And then Paul continues in verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Paul signs this with his own hand. That demonstrates his ownership. In other words, he's willing to say, I will pay for his responsibility. I will pay for his mess. He's telling Philemon the same thing. I will pay for your responsibility so that nothing is in the way of you two being reconciled to one another. Isn't this the gospel? That we too were once at war and in rebellion to God. That we had a debt to pay. We owed. We had a debt to pay for the wages of sin is death. Additionally, on the other side, God was just in condemning and punishing us. Yet, in grace, Jesus steps in as our substitute for our sin so that we might be reconciled to God. And not only have we been reconciled, not only have we been restored, but we have been forgiven all our sin. 
And we've been forgiven, not just, not because God was trying to do us a kind solid, but because in the moment that we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we cried out to God in faith and repentance, and God forgave us. As a result, Christian, you have the power to forgive others because you have been forgiven. And listen, there's a difference. Let's put some stuff on the table. There's a difference between the act of forgiving and an attitude of forgiveness. An attitude of forgiveness means being generous and gracious to those who have sinned against you, whether they are repentant or not, whether they show remorse or not. Too many Christians confuse an attitude of forgiveness and the act of forgiveness. The act of forgiveness, however, check it, here we go, heart check, is to release someone from legal or moral obligation or consequence. This form of forgiveness, the act of forgiveness, this form is what describes what God does for sinners on the cross as they cry out in faith and repentance. This is more than general kindness. It's reconciliation and restoration. Our sins are not held against us. That the minute we repent of our sin, we receive the promise of God's forgiveness. Psalm 32 says it this way, Blessed is the transgressor whose sins are covered and forgiven. Therefore, on the act of forgiveness, has someone confessed and repented to you and you've withheld forgiveness? We're going to pull a Mr. Rogers. Ten seconds. Think about it. Has someone confessed and repented to you and you have withheld forgiveness, Christian? Have you assumed that you're reconciled to someone because you express a general kindness toward one another? That may not be bad, but that's not exactly reconciliation and forgiveness. That's assumption. That's not the act of forgiving. That's just an attitude of forgiveness. We've looked at the grace of a new identity in Christ, the grace of the forgiveness in Christ. Now let's consider the grace of commitment in obedience to Christ. In this letter, Paul has been appealing to Philemon's character. He's also assured Philemon's character. He's assured of Philemon's character as he begins to close. I want you to consider verse 21. Paul says, Confident of your obedience, I want you to know, I write to you, excuse me, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul is certain of Philemon's check it follow through. He is certain of his compliance. That's what the word confidence here means. It means follow through. It means compliant. And he knows that he's going to do even more than what he's asking him. And so Paul is assured by Philemon's character that Philemon is going to be compelled to do what is right. 
Church, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to make a decision to no longer hold the sin against the person you forgave. That's what Paul is getting at here. When he says confidence of your obedience, the follow-through isn't just that you're going to receive him, but as you receive him, his debt is paid. You will receive him as a brother. You will receive him as a new creation. His debt has been paid. How has it been paid? Paul paid it. It is one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to make a decision to no longer hold that sin against the person you forgave. See, when looked at in light of the cross, forgiveness is a promise from God. And when we repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus, we are counted as righteous and God releases us from our sin. We are freed from the wages of sin. Consider for a moment 2 Corinthians 5. Beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's a new identity. That we have been saved through grace and faith in Christ. That's a new creation, a new identity. He continues, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We talked about that last week, that each one of us in here is in the ministry of reconciliation. And we don't get a choice. Moving forward, Paul says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Here it is, not counting their trespasses against them. So not only is there forgiveness, there is a commitment to be released from your sin. There is commitment to be forgiven. To no longer hold on to your sin. And what does he say? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Because you know what God, because you know who you are in Christ, you now know what He has done for you on the cross. Go be an ambassador and make sure people are reconciled to God and to one another. That's exactly what Paul was talking about back in verse 17 when he tells Philemon to receive Onesimus. Right? Receive him because the same God that has forgiven you and has forgiven me has also forgiven him. That he is now a new creation. He is new. He has also been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. He is also in the ministry of reconciliation alongside you. So receive him. And whatever he owes, I will pay. And just to show you how serious I am, just to show you that I will take upon his responsibility, whatever mess he has left behind, I am signing this letter with my own name. That's the work of Jesus for us as he enters into human history. He enters into our mess, and on the cross, he takes responsibility for our sin so that we might be not only forgiven, but reconciled to the Father. Further, I want you to consider the word obedience. Paul writes, confident of your obedience. It's really important because we must remember that our faith 
is always accompanied by obedience. Sometimes we forget that, right? We want to separate the two. It's not how it works, right? Look at James 2, verses 14 and 17. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Confident of your obedience. Not just confident that you're going to follow through. Not just confident that you're going to be compliant. Confident that you're actually going to follow through with the grace that you talk about. The grace that you've encouraged others with. The grace that you believe. Man, I know you're going to be obedient to the Lord. Right? And Paul isn't putting in on himself like, hey, confident that you're going to do what I tell you to. Because last week we looked at how Paul is appealing to him, right? He says, hey, I'm not going to pull the, uh, the apostle card. I, I'm appealing to you for love's sake. I'm appealing to you because we're brothers uh, uh, in the Lord. And so here, Paul says, confident of your obedience. Hey, because I know who you are, because I know what you believe, because you are enamored by Jesus, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you're going to do the right thing. Faith is always accompanied by obedience. Where are you disconnecting the two? Think about it. Where are you disconnecting faith and obedience? Because according to God, if we do, then our faith is dead. Right? Where is it that there is a disconnect? Reconciliation involves grace through a new identity in Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, and a commitment to obey Christ. Reconciliation is certainly a personal matter, but it's never private. It's never private because it communicates to others about what we believe about grace. It reassures the saints of what God is doing in us, and it proclaims the beauty of this grace to a watching world. Reconciliation is always accompanied by fellowship and accountability. Look at verse 20. Paul says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. I want you to receive Onesimus, and if I'm honest, I want something from you. And he says, Refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. In Philemon reconciling with Onesimus, Paul's desire from Philemon is the same refreshment that Philemon has given to the church. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul's not asking him to be inconsistent. Paul's like, man, I've, I've derived so much joy that in you doing this, I'd love for my heart to be strengthened. A refreshed heart is one that's encouraged, that is one that is strengthened. A refreshed heart is one that now has the, the, the ability to fight against being hardened. To the Colossians, Paul wrote to them, I am writing to you so that your hearts may be strengthened or encouraged. And what he means by that word is strengthened. It's similar here. 
That he's not just talking about his heart being refreshed in terms of some kind of emotion, some kind of feeling. What Paul is saying when he says, refresh my heart in Christ, he's saying, strengthen my heart so that I would be confident in this grace that you and I believe in, in this grace that you and I partake in, in this grace and on this mission that God has called us to. Refresh my heart because refreshing my heart keeps me from being hardened. Refreshing my heart keeps me guarded. And it's in step with what God says through John in, in 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's similar to what Paul means when he says, refresh my heart. May it be strengthened. May it be strengthened through what you're doing. That when it comes to accountability, individuals are assured. The saints are are refreshed. Man, this grace is real. This actually does work. And in addition to a refreshed heart, reconciliation involves accountability. Everybody loves that. It involves accountability. As Paul has appealed to Philemon to, to receive Onesimus, there is a great deal of accountability on Philemon. First, I want you to think back to, it's the, the second part of verse 1 leading into, actually just, just go to verse 2. The letter is being read before the church, or at the very minimum, Philemon's family, right? He says in verse 2, Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So the church is going to be hearing this letter. And at the very minimum, his wife and son are there as he's opening up this letter. And as we looked at obedience earlier, this means that the church is watching and holding Philemon accountable to how he responds, right? Paul has already appealed to his character. Hey man, the saints, I, you love them so well. They have been refreshed. It has brought a joy to my heart. So Philemon's already read this out loud. Look at what Paul's saying, man. He's saying he's encouraged by the ministry here in Colossae. And then he closes right here. You're going to be held accountable because you're a man of godly character. That's not me just putting that on you. That's, that's because of, that's who you are. The church is holding Philemon accountable. They're watching to see how he's going to respond. They're waiting to be assured. Remember, Colossae, the church in Colossae is a young church. And so here they're like, so is this grace real? We've been talking about it. Epaphras has been preaching about it. We just read this letter to the Colossians. Clearly, he talks about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. All of these good things. Is it real? So they're watching. Second, Paul goes on to say in verse 22 that he's going to pay him a visit. No pressure. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. Paul is maybe thinking, and I'm going to be out of prison soon. I hope to be out of prison soon. By the way, bro, I'm going to stop by your house because I want to see how this turned out, right? It's not like a threat. Same thing. Remember, he has not pulled the apostle card, but he genuinely wants to see how this has turned out. The next thing is that there is ownership of follow-through on Philemon because Philemon has been praying for Paul. Verse 22, once more. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, 
I will be graciously given to you. So Philemon's been praying for Paul. And then Paul writes him this letter. I mean, what's Philemon going to do? Stop praying for Paul? Right? Like, oh, man. Uh, we're going to change the sermon series this morning, guys. Like, now he actually has to continue to follow through with his love for Paul. And finally, while this is not in the text, we can look at this in terms of uh, society. As Onesimus returns to Philemon, Philemon has every right to punish him or even kill him. And members in the community want him to. And so what will Philemon preach? What will Philemon preach to a watching world who does not know the grace of Jesus? What will Philemon preach to the church who is right there with him, eager to see him respond and holding him accountable to the grace that we've been preaching this whole time? How will he respond? While we can't confirm this biblically, historically, it is said that Onesimus and Philemon reconciled. And several decades later, Onesimus became a bishop in Ephesus. He became a pastor. He served after Timothy in Ephesus. He served in places like Spain and in Egypt. And according to church history, they believe it's the same Onesimus. The one who received a new identity was forgiven in Christ as he looked at the cross and as he was received by his brother. The one who had this level of accountability because as much as Philemon has accountability, so does Onesimus. You, you, can, you know there might be people in the church who are like, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. You know how I know? Because us here as a congregation, we've walked through at least two to three church discipline slash restoration moments. And I've talked to y'all where there's been some who's been like, it's all about grace. Some will, we'll see. So it's not like you're like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. No, that, that, you did that. Some of us did that. You know that there are some who are saying, we'll see. And once more, we cannot confirm it biblically. But historically, Onesimus goes on to become a pastor, preaching the same gospel, and was martyred, stoned, and then beheaded. Reconciliation always involves people. And Paul was no stranger to that. As he closes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greetings to you. That's the guy who planted the church in Colossae. That's the guy who went to Paul to tell him about all the things in Colossae. So he's there with him. And Paul says, sends his greetings. Just a faithful dude who has a good friendship with Paul. And then he goes on to say, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Now, we've talked about each one of these individuals when we close Colossians, right? Luke is a faithful friend. Arsarchus is also a faithful friend. This is the dude who's been with Paul throughout all of Acts, who has been with Paul during the rioting, the beatings. They've been kicked out of cities. They've been imprisoned together. He's like, he's solid. I want to primarily focus on Mark and Demas because Paul was not 
exempt from the ministry of reconciliation just because he writes about it so much. When we go back to uh, the book of Acts, we see that at one point, him and Mark had a sharp disagreement. And Paul is a very faithful man. He's the guy who's like, we got to go take the gospel uh, to all these places. We got to go plant churches. We got to be on mission. And Mark was like, I don't know, bro. And so Paul says, you're a deserter. You're weak. I'm going to go over here. And Mark's cousin, uh, Barnabas, is like, no, man, let me just take him. And so they had this sharp disagreement with one another. And in Colossians and in the letter to Philemon, he references Mark. So at some point, they were reconciled. And in Paul's last letter, uh, 2 Timothy, many believe he was just months out from being uh, executed, tells Timothy, bring Mark to me. He is useful to me. At some point, these two men reconciled together. And Mark, once more, is a story of encouragement that even though he's bouncing and bailing at some point, man, God's grace gets a hold of him. It's obviously demonstrated in his friendship with Paul. And Mark even goes on to write one of the Gospels. He should be an encouragement to us. And then Demas. Demas was an individual that did ministry with Paul. He references him in several of his letters, three in particular, two uh, with Colossians and then here in Philemon. He's saying, he's with me. He's my ministry friend. He's my bro. We're planting churches. We've been in prison together. And then in his last letter in 2 Timothy, we see that Demas at some point bailed, bounced, and deserted Paul. And all Paul tells us is, he loved the world and deserted me. Paul understood hurt. Paul understood that sometimes he wasn't reconciled. We don't know that he was reconciled to Demas. Paul gets betrayal. Read First and Second Timothy. He wastes no time in calling people out by name who betrayed him, who preached a false gospel, who are trying to do the same to the church of Christ. It hurts. It hurts. But what fuels reconciliation is grace. What accompanies reconciliation is accountability. And so as Paul concludes the letter, he writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. That's a wonderful way to end this letter and end our series. Because what makes reconciliation and forgiveness possible is grace. Like he concludes it with, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. This is what you will need as Onesimus comes to you. This is what you will need to walk in reconciliation, to demonstrate this gospel. What we believe about grace determines whether or not we follow through with reconciliation. So Christian, are you withholding grace and forgiveness? If so, from who? Is there complaint from you instead of confession? Is there gossip from you instead of grace? Confess your sin. The Bible teaches that if we confess, He is faithful to forgive. And because you are forgiven, you can be reconciled to one another. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm really thankful that you're here. And I got to tell you, you are in rebellion against God. You have a debt. And God is just in his wrath. However, Jesus 
offers you reconciliation through faith and repentance. Therefore, repent of your sin and be reconciled to God. Church, what we believe about grace determines what we do with reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, be merciful and forgive our sin. May we be like the psalmist in Psalm 32 who are encouraged that when we confess our transgression, our iniquity is covered by you. We are forgiven by you. May that be the cry of our heart this morning. May we be encouraged by by Psalm 32 where, where David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. God, cleanse our unrighteousness. Heal our hearts. Reconcile our broken relationships. Pour your Spirit upon us with a renewing grace. Restore us to the joy of our salvation. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us of our excessive discontentment, our excessive ingratitude. Make us to be a people who walk in grace because we drink from the well of your grace. God, may we be reconciled to one another. May our family, our community, our city taste the new wine of the gospel through Jesus' work in us. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. We ask all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.